Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Well, the good news is I no longer need to worry about, um, you know, sweating profusely. Uh, oh, yes. The, the cold and dreary rains have arrived. Um, mm. uh, it's pro- probably temporary, but um, win- winter here is actually much more miserable than you would think for it being subtropical. Yeah. Uh, basically, it's like 50 degrees and rainy, which doesn't sound terrible. Like, you know, coming from Wisconsin where it's like minus 30 and snowy. <laughs> Um, but there's no heat here there's, and there's no insulated housing. So the problem is the inside temperature is the exact same as the outside temperature. Um, and so it's really weird. You go outside, you're like, yeah, it's not that cold out. And then you're sitting inside and you're like, man, I'm just freezing my rear end off. <laughs> well, the wonderful thing about Silicon Valley or one of the many wonderful things about Silicon Valley is it's not so bad here right now. It's it's like 72 and sunny every day. It's awesome. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So I'm certainly not going to be complaining about the weather, that's for sure. <laughs> no, it's, it's um, I mean, of course, pretty soon you'll have no water to drink if it, if it ever did get hot. So that might be more of a problem. That, that definitely might get me to move. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it's interesting, like El Nino, La Nina, how... Um, this is going to be the worst segue ever, but how, you know, all <laughs> the weather and the climate all over the, you know, the planet is interconnected and what happens in one place quickly ripples out to, to another place. Um, kind of like when stuff happens on Twitter. <laughs> yes, you're right. Worst segue ever. <laughs> Let's run with it though. So yeah, so Twitter had their, had their analyst day today. Um, and where, I mean, obviously Obviously, Twitter has had a, I mean, <laughs> if you want to talk about high variance, that would be yeah. Twitter's run on Wall Street. Mm. Um, they've, they started, I think, in the high 20s, and they went up to the 70s, and then they went down to the 40s. And um, and it's so volatile that they could just have an analyst day where they say some stuff, which we'll talk about in a moment, and boom, their stock's up 8%. I mean, like, it's, it, which is kind of insane. Um, but, uh it's 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 a fascinating service for lots of ways, but for mm. for for lots of reasons. But um, uh, I don't know. Maybe we should start with their with their new. I don't know if it's it's not. I don't know if it's a mission statement or if it's uh what they tried to explain their vision. Their vision. What's their yeah. vision? So uh, I I this even the guy who read this out, um, <laughs> Noto and CFO Anthony Noto read this out at uh at one of the analyst meetings, and even he admitted it was a mouthful, reached the largest daily audience in the world by connecting everyone to their world via our information sharing and distribution platform products and be one of the top revenue generating internet companies in the world. And then the article goes on to say, I struggle to read it every time. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, understand what, what, why. What, what's ironic, and I think uh, John Guru pointed this out on, on Daring Fireball, is that um, that's too long to tweet. <laughs> Amazing. It's true. I, I don't know. It's certainly not organize the world's information or put a, put a computer on every desk, that's for sure. It, it sounds... I, I don't know. I can't... It's hard, to, it's hard to even remember what it's all about once you say it. Which is not a sign of a good mission. So the the, the I think Twitter is. Um, I, I've written about Twitter a few different times on the main blog. I've written about them several times in in the daily update. Um, just because it really is one of, if not the most kind of like fascinating companies to think about, just from mm. 
the mixture, the interchange between product and um, business model and all that, all, all that sort of stuff. I mean, I think what, what makes Twitter so, I mean, if you even look at like their, their, their performance in the stock market, it's actually um, when they filed for the IPO, I wrote a piece last fall, um, which uh, has basically turned out to be totally on the money. Basically my contention was that um, what makes Twitter so vexing and what's going to determine their success is it is so clearly uh, a great advertising platform. And that's proving to be the case. Like their advertising numbers are doing phenomenally. Their revenue is doubling. Like it, it, it works really well. And the reason it works really well is because Twitter knows more about me and my interests than any other service on the web. Like even more, I mean, Google, obviously Google has the, like I tell them what I'm looking for. And that's, that's super Paul. We talked about that in previous mm. weeks. Yeah. Um, Facebook has an idea because they have, you know, my, who I know and stuff that I post about, but you know, just because what I'm interested in isn't necessarily there's, I'm sure there's a correlation, but it's not, it's not Correlate. as tight, right. The people yeah. who I know and who, who I'm friendly with. Right. I mean, though, the whole thing about Twitter and why it's so great and why it's so important to me, important to so many other people is the way it lets me connect with people who who care about similar things or interested in similar things. We can t- you have all kinds of interesting conversations, meet all kinds of interesting people. You and I met on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but the problem, and so the, the Twitter like knows more about me in a what I actually care about sense as opposed to a who am I sort of sense. And that's, that's an even more attractive platform for advertisers than, than, than arguably Facebook. I mean, they're not making nearly as much money as Facebook, but just they, they certainly are in position to offer me much more compelling uh, ads than than even Facebook is. Right, I, I you're like it, I I can't start talking about Twitter without thinking about it from the perspective of a a user, and it's 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 like man, it's like my brain in some senses like it's like my it's like I want to get a pulse on whatever's going on in the world and all I do is I think about loading up Twitter it's I've managed to refine down who I follow to like make sure that it's interesting people something happens the first thing I'll do is jump on Twitter if I if there's something I'm interested in I mean maybe interested in it depends but it's just it's like a nervous system a digital nervous system for the planet it is so cool um no, that, yeah. that, that's the, but that, that's this part two. Part one, it's always been clear to me that it's going to be a great advertising platform. The problem is part two. It's also been equally clear to me that it's, it's a platform that is very difficult to, mm. to, to, to onboard. And it's interesting because yeah. I think, uh, I, I think we're both looking at this, this wall street journal article, um, about, about the analyst meeting. And it says in here, uh, they also, for the first time, shared specific initiatives on how they plan to remedy long-time concerns that plagued the simple but enigmatic social media service. And I think the problem for Twitter is that it's actually not simple. It's 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 simple on the surface. It's just 140-character tweets. Mm. But to for it to become your nervous system, for it to be so finely tuned that one – you find it indispensable, and two, it also becomes that sort of attractive thing to advertisers. Those are this one and the same thing, right? Because they're both about knowing exactly what I'm interested in. 
um, is really hard. It's really complicated. It's really difficult. You talked about how you you fine tuned your Twitter feed, and the problem is to get to a state where Twitter is so compelling is a long and difficult process, and that's why they have a growth problem when it comes to users. Yeah, I mean, right. <clears throat> so I, I think we use, I mean, I think of it as when I'm trying to encourage people to get on it, and I certainly don't encourage everybody to get on it, but when I try and encourage people to get on it, I describe it as like a, a the nervous system is one way, but also like a bazaar for ideas. Like this is where big ideas in the tech community, this is where they're exchanged, this is where they grow and they're shaped and people react to them. And I, like, maybe part of it is that, maybe part of it is that it's difficult for new users to onboard. And there's no doubt about that. But I also wonder about, I also wonder about it from the perspective of the job to be done and whether it's actually only a certain number of people that have the job. So Google, for example, there's like, I need to find out, I, I have a search query and I, I, you know, like I'm like I want to understand something. I have a question. Type it in. Bang! There you go. The the whole notion of it being a bazaar for ideas or something like that, which is how I think of it, or that nervous system. I actually wonder whether there's only a small percentage of the population. So a, a small percentage of the population that actually has that job. So um, folks that are probably listening to this podcast, certainly you and I, but folks listening to this podcast, like they want to get, they either want to engage in that conversation or they want to be able to put their finger on the pulse. But the, the average population, you know, like between Google and Facebook, you know, they just want to see what their friends are talking about. They don't really need to know. I mean, maybe they'll come across something that, you know, like a famous basketballer or a famous musician has to say, but I actually wonder whether there's enough compelling um, the the quote unquote regular person to actually want to sign up, even if Twitter made it really easy for them to do so. I think no, I think that that's really smart, and we're kind of like jumping ahead in a ways because um, I, I I wrote a a follow up piece this spring. Um, mm just before we kind of reboot, you know, we, we really got started with exponents. We haven't had a chance to talk about it, but mm. basically calling what I talked about Twitter's marketing problem. And basically my contention was that Twitter, like the core concept of Twitter, like the, the thing with Twitter is for it to be great, it, you need to tinker with it. Like mm, it, right. if it was algorithmically driven, it would by definition not be, not be the amazing tool that it is. And um, everyone who I know who loves Twitter, who, like I've said before, like if, if there is one service, if I had to give up every tech service in my life uh, and I can only keep one, it, it would be Twitter. Like I would, I, I would rather use Twitter on the crappiest smartphone in the world um, than have an iPhone and not have Twitter. Yeah. And, and, and because it, it is, it, it, it's my, it's my lifeline. And, but the reason why it's like that is, um, now I follow, I, I follow quite a few people, um, just cause it's easier that way, but I still have a list. Um, I have a list of, uh, probably about a hundred people that I take care to read every tweet in there. And the reason I do it is because what's amazing about Twitter is it's, it's consistent serendipity. If that makes sense. 
Yeah. Like I constantly come across really interesting articles, really interesting ideas that I would not find via RSS and RSS is too overwhelming anyway. Mm. Um, I would not really get through any other means, but I consistently get these articles through Twitter. And it turns out that there are some people in topics that I care about that consistently produce these sort of things. Mm. Right. I mean, mm. they just read all the time and they're always putting interesting stuff in. And, and that's, that's the value. The problem is it's because I've been using Twitter since 2006, like I've been finally tuning that for going on eight years. Yeah. And, and now it's perfectly tuned to me and I have a really hard time. I don't, I actually never tell people to use Twitter because I don't know how to explain to them to get the same sort of this, the same sort of list that's right for them. Cause they're not me. They're, they're a, they're a different person. It, it takes a lot of time and effort. Um, it, it does like, and, and the, the little technical things, like when you start a tweet with the at symbol at the front of it, then it only goes to that person and the notion of a retweet and, and how to engage, like, it's not a, it's not an easy plot. It's, I mean, from like after you use it for a while, it makes so much sense. But the problem is there's this, there's this valley of death between you pick it up uh, before it becomes useful and, that people have to be really, really persistent to want to cross that. And I'm, I mean, I guess part of what they're trying to do today is make it easier. Uh, and, and you made some really cool suggestions in your article in the spring around like, um, uh, creating automatic lists around big topics. So if people are interested in, in basketball, then create a basketball channel or something like that. Uh, and making them good, like I think you, <laughs> devoid of the crap that pollutes most hashtags and search results, I think was the language you used, and I agree with that. I think that might that might expand the audience, but I, I still wonder whether, again, we're power users, like we like this idea of a marketplace for ideas is phenomenal to us, but to to like. There's a standing question over everything they said today in this analyst meeting, which is. Does it? Do, yeah, you make it easier for people to sign up. But even if you do, would people, people like the people who aren't already signed up, would they even care? Like, like, do they have this job to be done? And it's not clear to me yet. Well, so this is no. I think I think you're you're um, you're exactly right. And I, I think what to to get the really great Twitter experience that you and I have um, requires requires tinkering, and 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 that the 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 problem with any grow growing any product, and this is something I, mean, I think about it even with Shatekery and my in my users, right? Is the first few users are the are the easiest in some ways because mm-hmm. they um they are self directed and they will fi- and they will figure it out and they'll make it work. It's it's however as you grow more and more, um and as the growth on the margins gets tougher and tougher, right? Because now, if you're dealing with someone who uh, they're getting out of a scale of 100, they're getting a value of of 99 or 95 or 90. Like they'll put in the effort to to get over the hump, as it were. Mm. Um, the problem is once you get closer to 50, where it's like, yeah, I'm getting a value of 55 out of this, but but I could kind of take it or leave it. Th- at that point, it's just not worth the trouble to go to the effort of of. Of figuring it out, and I think the challenge for for Twitter, though, the problem is um, there are all these other services like Facebook, um, uh, 
potentially, you know, some of the messaging services, potentially Pinboard, which we talked about, which we talked, pin, or sorry, um, Pinterest, which we talked about previously, um, that that might accelerate past Twitter. And the problem is there, there's a bit of a winner-take-all scale advantage when it comes to advertising. Like, it's not worth the trouble to spread your advertising all around when you can just spend it all mostly in one place and get good enough results, right? There's there's a cost component to it, both in complexity and in time and all that sort of stuff. And that's why TV, for example, continues to be so dominant. You can reach a lot of people and just focus on one medium. Um, and w- once that money moves online, uh, Twitter is at in danger of being left out just because it's just not enough people to be worth the trouble. Yeah, I, I so, I, I mean, I agree with that. I'm wondering about uh, def, uh, like defenses for it, and I, I wonder whether the nature of the users. So we've made the argument previously around Apple that by virtue of the experience it provides, it attracts um, higher value users, which gives Apple more leverage when it comes to negotiating whether it's in up with the Apple Pay with the banks because um, or the retailers because these are these are really high value users that everybody wants to attract. I wonder whether there could be some case to be made for Twitter to do the same here as well that the ty- uh, maybe I'm drawing a long bow here but the types of users that are engaged on Twitter given it's more um, I don't know and again maybe I'm I'm projecting here but given it's more uh that the higher levels of engagement but also the the would it be fair to say that there's like a higher degree of um uh like intellectual engaged intellectual debate like this notion of a marketplace for ideas and the type of person that would push through the the friction to get engaged in something like that versus the person who'll just go to facebook to do it like these are it's almost like being able to uh, the wall street journal being able to say to advertise as well we have all these ceos and cfos that read us like this is a very valuable audience i wonder whether twitter has the is the digital version of that in that sense it's it's an interesting thought i mean i i hope that would be the case i mean uh i don't know i i think that would be that would be an ideal bull bull case outcome for twitter and i think it's it's very possible um, what, what I do think that that note speaks to, though, is, you know, Twitter needs to tread carefully in messing with the core user experience. Yeah, um, that's very true. And I think what's concerning about about the stuff that Twitter has done and is doing and um, and they've announced like this new like uh, basically an algorithmic timeline for new users like your timeline's going to be auto populated when you log in now and uh, and they've done stuff for existing users where they insert tweets that people favorited and stuff like that um mm-hmm. the concern is that you you lose what it is that makes twitter so compelling to the hundreds of mil- millions of people that do use it today and find it so valuable and that that's why like just kind of bring this full circle you mentioned um Maybe it's a different type of user now that Twitter needs to reach. And I guess this this is why my recommendation in the article, and I'm not sure why why I, I can figure out why, but Twitter should maybe think about why are we only one product? Like why is everything necessarily about the timeline? And what I mean by that is hmm. the timeline is where we, you and I find the the most value, but that's not that doesn't have to be the only Twitter experience. 
So for example, um, when I, during the world cup, I didn't add a bunch of world cup relevant people to my timeline because that would have made it unmanageable. And it's important for me to read everything in my timeline. I made a list about the world cup so that during a game I could dip into the list and, mm. you know, see the reactions and people's commentary and all that sort of stuff. And then when it, and then when the game was over, I just ignored it. And I had the same with the NBA. I have I actually have two NBA lists. I have an NBA list that's a lot of people that's interesting that I like to look at during games. Like if there's a big play, I love to see people's reactions and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then I have another much smaller NBA list, which is people who, again, I want to read every tweet they say because I think what they say is super interesting. They linked interesting articles that I want to read. And um, and again, I the problem is to expect a, a user to do this, to have up this mm. integrate system that I have, I think is unrealistic. Um, but... Maybe the answer is in some fashion that Twitter needs to kind of do a better job of segmenting its users. Stop treating everyone the exact same and trying to give them all the exact same user experience. Twitter is so powerful because it can do so many things. It can be real time, which I use those mm-hmm. lists for. It can be uh, in idea bizarre. It can be um, an information source. Mm-hmm. And the problem is by Twitter's kind of, or, or a potential problem is Twitter's Focus on just the timeline. Um, maybe they're missing the chance to serve multiple audiences. Sorry, that was my, that was my turn to monologue. No, 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 you're good. You're making me think of two things. The first one is actually another company that's been in the news quite a bit, Spotify. And one of the things that I think is really cool about their service is that they make it very easy for you to discover friends' playlists. And in that sense, playlists... Um, are similar to lists. So I don't, like on Twitter, I don't know whether there might be some answer there where, um, so part of Twitter's product is obviously the timeline, but maybe another thing is it starts to make it much easier to surface lists around core topics. I don't know whether you'd, you'd want to do it on the human side, on the algorithmic side, like you were suggesting, or some combination of the two, but that's one reaction that comes to mind. The second is, uh, and, and, it, and it speaks to your point about messing with the core user experience, but at the same time, expanding out the offering to segment a new population the first time I really got pissed off with Twitter was um, when they went from being a, you know what, let a thousand flowers bloom in terms of uh, allowing any third-party developers to create clients and gain access to a whole lot of APIs. And then they started to shut it down. And I think they started to shut it down because they thought that the way for them to build a business um, or the most effective way for them to build an advertising business was to control the client. And so they burn all the third-party developers. I actually wonder whether you take this idea of... um, well, the third-party developers, I mean, and maybe this is hindsight 2020, maybe they can't go back and change anything about it now, but one of the one of my reactions to what you just said is I wish they'd left the third-party developers to keep developing really cool uh, clients so you can get better access to timelines and whatever. And I just, I mean, for example, TweetBot. If you took TweetBot away from me, I think I would die. Um but the way that they, the way that Twitter could have expanded is to like not give those third-party developers access to the lists and start to make it the, the focus the Twitter client on a very basic product that that is um, really easy for new users to adopt. 
or I, I don't know, maybe even opening that up as well where you could have a third-party developer who's like, you want to know what the latest that's going on in basketball right now, we'll do it for you. And they build a client all around the latest latest in basketball or the World Cup or whatever it is and you pull things down and you get access to it and it's easier. But it was, sorry, I was monologuing, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, it, I, I'm going to disagree. I know what you just articulated is a very kind of popular sentiment that Twitter, mm. you know, everyone's mad at Twitter because of the third party app API withdrawal. Um, mm. I think that's really unfair. And I think Twitter was totally justified in doing what they did. And they probably could have messaged and handled it better. But, mm. but the reality is um, Twitter is, and like any social network, inevitably a, advertising based business model and you can't have an advertising based business model if you don't control the the display experience like that that's just that's just a fact of life and and honestly i think we're fortunate um that twitter let the existing clients stay as they were um you know they actually gave them headroom to to double from wherever their existing their existing counts were because the truth is um, me using Tweetbot. I love Tweetbot as well, but I'm not seeing any ads. So all that spiel that I just talked about how I'm the, I'm Twitter's the best way to reach for an advertiser to reach me. It's the best way for an advertiser to reach me, except they actually can't because I use a third party Twitter client. <laughs> and, and so while I appreciate the frustration and people feeling like the rug was put off from under them, I don't think Twitter really had a choice. And honestly, objectively from a business perspective they've they probably actually made a suboptimal decision by even letting third-party clients stay around at all yeah maybe except that if well yeah i'm i'm trying to decide if you took tweetbot away would i give up on twitter probably not i'd probably still stick with it so maybe you're right um, I just wonder whether there, I always wonder whether there isn't another way. So they they control the feed. Like even if, even, I mean, I'm assuming the third party clients, you put ads in the feed, the third party clients aren't smart enough to know, oh, this is an ad, this isn't an ad. I'm, I'm not entirely sure how that works, but I can't imagine it would be impossible for them to get the third party clients to display ads in the feed. And oh, by the way, guys, if you want to pay us X, I don't know. I don't know if there's some way you could pay to turn it off or whatever, but I don't know. Uh, uh, actually, what, let's let's come back to that moment, the pay to turn it off, because I also think that's ridiculous. Um, it is ridiculous. I know. It's not a sustainable business model. Well, no, it's right. interesting, though, because um, that's basically the business model that YouTube watched today for the music service. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But let's come back to that in, in a little bit. Um, uh, for Twitter... Um, I just feel it'd be so clarifying. I mean, the, the the challenge with Twitter is it it can be so many things to so many different people, and that makes it super powerful, but it makes mm. it really hard to explain, and it makes it really hard to build a product because if you don't know what your product is, how can you build a good product? You know, like I already before, like Twitter, because it was so malleable and because it was it appealed to a group of people that were willing to tinker and were willing to make it work to fit them, like that made Twitter explode and grow incredibly fast, despite basically no management. Like, I mean, Twitter had no real direction for mm. for many years. And the problem is coming to roost today is because they they never had to go through that. And this is what I wrote. They never go through that painful process of figuring out what's our market and how do we build a product that fits that market? 
Like they just got a bunch of customers and they never really figured out why. And now when they need to articulate to new customers why you should care about our product, they don't know how. And it's actually worse than that because Twitter is so well known. Everybody knows about Twitter. And so many people have tr- have signed up and then left because they couldn't figure it out. And it's right. way harder yeah. to get somebody a second time than it is to get them the first time. And so Twitter's right. like Twitter's actually in worse shape than it seems because it's not just about getting new users. It's about getting new users to try it again. And that's that's just burned once, you know, it's just way harder to get someone. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. It's it's kind of crazy to think how successful it was so quickly with so little effort but yeah it, it's a double-edged sword absolutely they you're right and I, I don't know if i call them customers i call them users there's a it's not so much the customers they got they got a whole bunch of users without uh no one was paying any money the customers came later right okay fine fine um <laughs> but but yeah it, it, i mean i, I don't know i so i guess if I had one, my recommendation for Twitter hasn't changed. Um, and not that anyone cares. And it, I, I'm sitting on the sidelines. I can say whatever I want. But to me, I feel they need to they need to segment their customers. Stop trying. Like you, you, you don't know what your product is. You've never known what it is. So stop trying to give the same product to everybody. Like I, right now, if you open the Twitter client, there's four tabs on the bottom of the screen. Um, on an, an iPhone, there's room for five. Um, leave the timeline be. Like the timeline. For people that have figured out the timeline and how to manage it, weave it that way. That's like that's like that's like PhD level Twitter, right? And so you almost mm. think about those levels. There's, there's going to be PhD Twitter. There's going to be university Twitter. There's going to be uh, high school Twitter. There's going to be like elementary school Twitter, and those should be basically like the four tabs. Elementary school Twitter is like uh, algorithmically generated lists or uh, of like different topics. And so the World Cup's going on. You can dip in. You can go to the World Cup channel and see what's happening. You can, you're watching NBA finals game. You want to see the reaction on Twitter. You dip in and, and it's there. The next level up is maybe where is you're following some friends or people that you know. Um, and then the level above that is maybe you can follow your friends list. Like Twitter turned it on for a couple months where you could actually, you could see the timeline as other people saw it. So I could go to like James Allworth's page. I could say, see Twitter as James Allworth sees it. And then, that's cool. and it, it, what, I thought it was really cool. And I, and you should be able to click a button and now I'm instantly following the exact same people that James Allworth is following. And, right. and then that's the way to get started. Right. Because I, I, I know you, I know we have similar interests. We think about the world the same way. You're my friend. And that's a, that's such a better starting place than some algorithmically generated thing. That's, that's basically a weak version of Facebook. Um, and, and then PhD level is where I've started editing that I've, I've, uh, this guy's really annoying. This Ben Thompson guy can't stand it. I'm going to, you know, I, I want to unfollow him and like teach people, teach people how to unfollow like Twitter, sh- the, the most powerful, I did a presentation about like how to use Twitter back in like 2009, um, mm. when I was at business school. Cause I was trying to like tell people, I was like, this is amazing. And like, you can, it's so much more efficient than anything else. And the core of my, of my presentation was the most important button on Twitter. And the most important button on Twitter is the unfollow button because you need Twitter. When you have the signal to noise ratio at the right level, it's amazing, but it's really easy to, for that to get out of whack. And the way you fix that is you hit the unfollow button. And it's funny. Right. I, I mean, I do all kinds of stuff. Like for example, I put, um, when I tweet out the daily update links, I tweet them from a special Twitter account and then I retweet it. 
And people ask me, why are you retweeting? If you shouldn't retweet all the time, why don't you just tweet it? Well, the reason is because some people really don't want to see that and they can unfollow that account without unfollowing me. And so I want to give people kind of like granularity and even following me um, right. just because I'm so appreciative of the, of the importance of having, you know, of being able to get exactly what you want to see. And instead, Twitter is just like, they're just, I, they're just trying to th- fix it for, fix it for everyone. And it just seems, I don't, yeah. It, it, uh, oh, oh. Wow, you really are lost for words. I, I, I'm frustrated. I've never heard well, that. the other thing I'm frustrated yeah. is it's nice today that they've announced a new onboarding experience. This is so clearly where the problem is. The problem has been in the onboarding experience since day one. They should have been iterating the onboarding experience constantly for for yeah. eight years, and they haven't been. I don't know what they've been doing. Like this is where the, in this this like I like Dick Costello. I've met him. He's a great guy. He's super funny. But this this is the sort of thing that that frustrates me and makes me concerned is every single person at Twitter should have been thinking about how to fix the onboarding experience. They should have been running A, B tests and C, D, E, F tests across like every single login. I mean, you have all these people logging every day. You can have all these, you can have all these um, cohorts and you can compare who's sticking around, who's staying. Like at the, this has been a known problem for a long time. And the fact it's not fixed yet is damning. I concur. I concur, though the caveat is still that even if they fix it, there's no guarantee that this is what, like, I mean, the, the standing question is like how many other people want it? And like that's, I don't know. I also, I, and maybe this is cheeky, I remember way back when, when I think was Google trying to buy these guys at one stage and I was like, maybe they should just sell to Google. No, <laughs> I, oh, Google, the Google would be the worst. Because Google, really? Google is the algorithm company. What makes Twitter great is that it's not the algorithm company. It's the personal company. It's personalized exactly to what I care about, what I'm into. And it becomes so powerful. And the reason I'm so worked up right now is because I care so deeply about the product. It yeah. means so no, much no, no, to I, me in a way that Google never, ever will. And I don't think is in their culture to ever do so. And I think they would have... Like whatever is in Twitter that the executive suite can't tap into, it's still there. It's still in the product. And I would rather have, um, you know, Costello and company trying to figure it out than to have Google thinking we know better when they're no better is exactly what I know I'm not interested in. No, I, I, I totally get you. I totally get you on the algorithm side, but I'm also wondering whether having, if, if, you, if you take my argument, and not necessarily that, like, not necessarily that you will. But if you if you buy into the argument that that the users on Twitter are, are more engaged, maybe there there's this that they're, they're different from the quote unquote average user, and by just keeping them engaged, um, not necessarily expanding it beyond that market, but just leaving it like that and providing extra data to advertisers on those people and their interests. And you don't have to do anything more than that. Like Twitter fills this market, like fulfills the market for the people who are using it. Provide like fits fits nicely into into the Google revenue model. I understand not from the algorithmic side, but more from the provide more data, understand what these people are interested in, allow advertisers to target it. I don't know. It, it instead now that they've gone public, there's all this pressure for them to expand the addressable market that that they that they now need to. I mean, to, to, to meet this valuation that, 
that they've managed to achieve. They have to they have to do something very very different, and I fear that they're going to kill the core product. Like, what makes that core product special in the process? Well, that's I, I get what you're saying. Um, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to call it a little elitist. Um, in that, like, I I actually do think I, I don't I I question whether they can achieve this, but I do think that Twitter has use for everybody. Like I really do. Like, I, I mean, um, you know, my, my dad's a big Packers fan and Badgers fan and like he would love and he, and he would love to follow. The problem is though, you go there and the idea that Twitter gives you should follow the official Packers account or the official Badgers account, which are crap, right? What was interesting on Twitter is finding who are the two or three fans or journalists that are consistently aren't just like rebroadcasting links, but are actually saying interesting stuff and like breaking news and, and those sort of things. Like if he could find those couple of people and then he'd probably want to have me on there because, you know, he's my dad. He actually cares what I have to say. Uh, no, he doesn't care what I have to say. He'd probably just do it out of respect or something. Um, <laughs> but I mean, there, 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 he, and he's, he's a psychologist. So there's probably some leaders in the field that if they're tweeting, he might be interested in. Like if, if he could have that and if I could set that up for him, um, I'm convinced he would find it incredibly compelling right now. There's, there's no way. I think he's might've signed up once, but it's just, it's just totally overwhelming. It doesn't make any sense to him. And I think that extends to everyone. It extends to whatever, everyone has some sort of interest. It might be basketball, it might be model rail railways. It might be international trade. It might be yachts. I mean, everyone's interested in something. And I think any interest in the world can be made better by Twitter. It can be enjoyed more fully. Like it, what Twitter does is it allows the things that you love to fill in the the kind of empty spots in your life. When you're standing in line, instead of playing these awful casual games that are trying to pry money in your pocket, like what? <laughs> no, like honestly, people. No, I, I, everyone I love has the these, description. Everyone has these moments of boredom in their life that I bet the vast majority, if they had a customized Twitter experience that perfectly fit what they're interested in, just as mine does like that Twitter really could like dominate the world. Right. It, so I, mean, I, I don't want to see them give so, up like, but they just seem to not have any idea. What you've described is so compelling. But then I think back to, I mean, I think about lots of very intelligent friends that I have and their natural inclination will be to jump on Facebook. Like once you get away from really so yes, you can accuse me of being elitist, but I think what Twitter attracts are the people who are really, really, really into these topic areas because the usual channels or the usual channels of getting information almost don't feel good enough. And so they go somewhere where they can where they're they're getting this they're, they're dipping into the fire hose, they're getting this pulse. Whereas for most people, the existing, like seeing what their friends are posting about the Packers on Facebook is enough or going to the one the one website where the Packers or, or, or whatever or the Model Railroad website is is just enough. I, I just, I yes, it's elitist, but I, I wonder whether the nature of the service, that's part of the reason why the service has been successful. It, it, it caters to people who have an interest level beyond what is standard and it allows them to indulge it. And most people, when they have a moment of boredom, they're not interested in going to that level of depth. Um, they'd, they'd rather just 
jump on Facebook or, or play one of those games that you so eloquently described. <laughs> well, the problem, I mean, the problem though is like to go to the model model website or whatever, like is, or even to go to, a, I mean, the Facebook feed, yes, I think that's a very fair, fair point, but often what's available to normal people, what, what normal people know how to access by normal people, I mean, people who aren't like Twitter, Twitter superheroes is it's too much, right? Most people don't want to, re- <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm by no means not talking from experience here. I was surfing the web on like a three line LCD over WAP, you know, like 1999. Um, but like, I mean, most people don't want to stand in line and read a web page, right? But the format of Twitter, it's not just that it, it's a way to gather in so much information very efficiently, but also it's, it, it's so easy to dip in and out of. And, and like, how many people are into model railroads? Know you can dip in and out of model railroads. I mean, we're this is probably a terrible example, but no, no, no. I, I get you. You know, it, it's this is making me think back to. I mean, I think part of the problem as well comes from Facebook and the way that people are conditioned to use social networks, and most people are now conditioned to use social networks. Uh, by Facebook, and that is they follow their friends. They don't think about it in terms of interests. But I, I mean, the other thing that that can that that made Twitter actually pretty stressful for me at first was that I felt that every time I logged in, I, I treated it like email. Actually, like I have to read every one of these tweets to see what's going on, and it actually took me quite some time to get to the point where. I recognized that it was just dip in, dip out. And if you miss stuff, it's not the end of the world. And actually, it's it's more important to focus on like, well, you can focus wherever you want, but there's probably a little bit more of a bias to focusing on things that have happened more recently than reading what happened 8, 12, 12 hours ago. You know, like that was actually a source of stress. And I, I actually wonder whether part of the issue with, um, onboarding is that that people are conditioned by other things, whether it's email or Facebook or whatever. That actually you need to change the way you think about it um, from Twitter, and they're kind of similar. But to get the most out of it, you do need to think about it differently. Well, that's interesting because um, the Facebook isn't like that at all. Facebook is very biased towards what's been posted previously. It doesn't show you everything; like it's all algorithmically selected. Um, Whereas uh, Twitter, yes, I get that can be overwhelming. Um, uh, again, I know that my use in this way is an exception and you can't use a Twitter app this way because it doesn't even really allow you to do it. But I, I actually do read, at least for the list that I that I have, I read every tweet in it. And that that's like, that's why I feel like, like that, I feel like that's Twitter PhD level, right? Like where you have a list so finely tuned that you actually don't want to miss anything in it. But, right. but, but again, that, that gets back to the point though. I, I agree that shouldn't be the expectation for anyone using Twitter because it is overwhelming and, and that, that gives bad incentives. But um, then again, I think what you just described is actually the way Facebook actually is. And I'm not sure aping Facebook even though that's what Twitter seems to want to do, um, the whole value is in being something something different. I totally get that. I, I guess my point in raising Facebook, and I should have made this more explicit. Um, so I treated the newsfeed like email, where I thought I had to read every one, and it actually became pretty stressful until I figured out actually 
just this is like you dip your foot in and then you dip you dip your toe in you dip your toe out and then you come back in and do the same thing later but i think a lot of the way that people use twitter or think about twitter is like they'll just follow their friends they'll get on there and they'll follow their friends but actually twitter isn't a social network about friends it's a social network about interests and to go and just like log on and just start following your friends unless your friends unless all of your friends and you are interested in exactly the same thing, that's actually a pretty shitty way to develop a timeline because they're going to start posting stuff about things that you don't care about and you're going to, it's going to start polluting your timeline and all of a sudden it's, you might as well go back to Facebook, right? Yeah. No, I, 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 again, I think just, it just comes back to, I think Twitter ought to embrace the fact that it, it is so many different things and, should build their clients in a way that that's that's obvious instead of trying to um shoehorn yeah. shoehorn it into in, in, in all the risks that entails I, I would just love to like embrace segmentation segmentation um yeah. I know like because everyone loves Apple as well focus blah 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 I mean segmentation is has been a viable and appropriate business strategy for for hundreds of years and for good reason no I I think that makes a lot of sense um I hope they figure it out because I, I'm I like where we started, what you described, I would take I would give up my iPhone and I would take a a, a crappy smartphone, hopefully with Tweetbot. Please let it have Tweetbot, but just just to get Twitter. If like those were my choices. It's so um, incredibly valuable. It's I've met so many cool people on it. I learned so much news so many new things i like so much interesting content gets surfaced through it it would be such a disappointment if it you know if they changed it dramatically or worse yet it went away altogether so i hope they figure it out yeah so do i um but i i i would say what, what was the mission statement again <laughs> oh god yeah, I can't even remember something about lots of users and making lots of money, which fills me full of fills me full of hope. Uh, well, it, it, so I'm um, speaking of making lots of money. I, I it, the YouTube thing was um, based better segue by the way. Yeah, well, no, you. I mean, we just brought it up before. Uh, they they're launching a new music service, uh, which is a bit Spotify ass. Like, there's like there's there's you know musician pages you'd follow them more closely and all of which mm. will be ad supported oh but for what is it 7.99 a month or i think that's promotional price probably 9.99 a month going forward you can pay to get rid of the ads um i i have a um one i think there's an interesting discussion to be had about these music services in general um mm. this is the one time i get to say i am a taylor swift fan um, oh wow really <laughs> i would not have picked that uh no, I, from the discussion about streaming services. Ah, uh, uh, <laughs> got it. Sorry, I took you literally there. I was like, I was not expecting that, and I'm trying to be polite right now. <laughs> um, but uh, we're gonna hear from the Taylor Swift fans. Uh, but the, oh yeah, wow. There's more out there than you would think. Yeah, I know. I know exactly. Well, at least we didn't insult Justin Bieber. Um, yeah, <laughs> so, but but uh, just. Uh, this kind of goes hand in hand with the, um, like, I feel like if you, if you have an advertising business model, like you kind of need to own it. Like I don't basically what you get for the music services, you is you get no ads and Spotify is the same thing. Like basically you, you get a little more control over your playback, but then you, you get no ads. And 
I always, I find these businesses kind of strange because you're, as soon as you are offering a premium service, which is defined by they're not being advertising, you're, you're kind of devaluing your ad product like massively because the people that advertisers are probably most interested in reaching uh, are now basically self-selecting out of the service. Maybe, so let me give you, let, let me present an alternative hypothesis. Maybe the ads are there not to actually make money, but to encourage you to subscribe. And the fact that it's encouraging you to, encouraging um, users to subscribe and making a little bit of money on the side as a result isn't necessarily a bad thing. Oh, that, 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 that's interesting. That's an interesting way to think about it. Um, the thing with advertising though is, I mean, advertising is a scale business, right? Like it works at scale. It, 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 it's... And that's where you make the serious money with any advertising-based product is when you're operating at scale. And Google has that, and that's and YouTube. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I I know some people. Um, I know like Horace Deju, for example, is very skeptical about the long-term future of advertising. Um, I disagree. I think advertising has been around for a very long time and for good reason because one, it works, and two, like we need it. Like if you think about the perspective of a company, and again imagine you were a startup and someone offered you a million dollars of advertising. Like, would you, of course you'd take it because the hardest problem is making people aware of your product or of a problem that your product solves. And, um, and uh, yes, there's tons of bad advertising and it's terrible. And I hate bad advertising just as much as the next person, but the people who are being hurt by bad advertising are the advertisers. Like, I don't know. I've, yeah. No, no, no. Agreed. All agreed. So, so I, I mean, I think from the perspective of Spotify, the way I've always, the way I've always assumed, like Spotify is much more interesting, interested in getting you to, um, in getting you to like pay a monthly subscription than they are in getting you to listen to ads. No, I think that's. I think um, for Spotify, you're exactly right. It do, like I don't think that's true of YouTube though. I think YouTube, it's. I mean the, <laughs> the 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 YouTube to me to my mind is much more uh, along the Google like the massive scale and because we have such scale we'll put ads in front of people and chances are if, like a few are going to click on it and it's going to make a lot of money because it's such a huge number even multiplied by a small percentage you're going to make money uh, playing around with that model on a subscription basis I'm with you it, it seems like a really strange move. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a competitive thing, though, because, that, I mean, especially when listening to music, uh, th that's a particularly intrusive time for, for ads. Are, um, and that's and so true. maybe it, the service would never really be competitive if it didn't have this option. But I, it is interesting. I think that Spotify and YouTube do have the opposite approach. I think, I mean, Spotify CEO had that blog post this week, uh, basically in response to Taylor Swift playing your music, saying, oh, we've paid out all this money. Um, you know, the free version of Spotify, we still pay out on it. it we just, it's just there to get people onboarded and to get people to pay. And and they actually have a very, I think it's like 25% of their users are paid users, which is, which is pretty impressive. Um, yeah. For, you know, I think that's a, that's a really high conversion rate um, for, for any freemium sort of service. Do you use it? I'm curious. Not really. Uh, I, I, well, I don't have a Spotify. I do have a beats um, account mainly just to try it out, but I don't use that either. Um, why not? It's interesting. I, I thought, I thought about it. I, I think, um, I, I part of it's probably cause I'm old. <laughs> like there's certain, like I have go-to bands or singers at certain times, like w when I'm looking to listen to music, 
and uh, and when I when they have a new CD or something's interesting, I I go and I go and buy it. And I like always having it, having access to it again. I think it's just maybe I'm just not I'm just not in that in that mode. The other thing, honestly, is podcasts. Like anytime I'm I'm driving or I'm walking or I have like time where I'm not I basically for me music is mostly background at this point. Um, anytime I'm actively listening, I'm usually listening to to podcasts. That's that's interesting. So I I don't use it either, and I went through a much more explicit decision than it than it seems you did when I decided not to use it, and that is that the observation I have is that I listen to and enjoy music differently to the way that I watch movies. So movies, I mean. Occasionally, I'll watch a movie more than once, but it happens very rarely. Generally, it's once then done. Whereas music, there's like, I mean, uh, there's music that I love. That's that some of it's 10, 20, like some of it's really recent stuff, but some of it's like 10, 20 years old, and I love it. And I listen to some of those songs time and time again. And the idea that I would have to pay on an ongoing basis to continue to gain access to that was something that really disturbed me. So so like the observation that my consumption model for music was very different to the consumption model for for books and movies with very few exceptions. There are some books that I go back to pretty frequently, but most it's like read it once and then I'm done. Whereas music, it's repetitive. And the idea that I would have to pay to be able to continue to do that. And what's more, I really don't trust the recording industries not to come along and start. I mean, you saw what happens when you effectively allow your music to be held hostage to someone. You're paying for you're paying for access as opposed to paying for ownership. Someone comes along and either jacks up the price, which the labels could do to Spotify, or an artist decides that they don't want it on Spotify anymore and then suddenly you can't listen to Taylor Swift. I decided personally that I would rather, it's probably a more expensive approach, but I would rather pay to gain access and ownership, quote unquote, of the things that I want to listen to rather than pay to rent knowing that I'd have to pay to continue to listen indefinitely in the future and that that music could at any stage disappear. It's interesting because that was basically like Steve Jobs' take, right? Which is why Apple always resisted doing this. Um, But I think this is one of those things where we're we're just of a different generation. I mean, I think uh, there's no question that streaming is... um, is the future as far as a revenue basis goes for the music industry. I mean, it just, it, 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 it's largely in some markets, it's, it's overtaken download revenue, like iTunes revenue. Mm. And the other thing is the truth is uh, you may think you spend more now, but the numbers say that people who pay for streaming services spend a lot more per year than, than they did previously. Like the average spend, per customer is way less than $120 a year, which is what these streaming services cost. That said, I'm a little skeptical on those numbers just because the the question is, in any sort of these sort of things, there's some people who buy a ton and some people who buy one CD a year. And yeah. if the people who buy a ton are now paying for streaming, but the people who buy one CD a year are still buying one CD a year, then you've actually decreased the amount of money, even though the average spend per person might might. Yeah. Might have moved around. Yeah, 
Sure. And to go back, but I, I do want to say one thing to go back to your earlier point around gen, different generation. Like I wonder what all those all those kids who are listening to Taylor Swift who are used to streaming are going to do right now because they aren't going to be listening to her through Spotify or any of these other streaming services. Well, this is what's in, this is what's so interesting and why I'm I'm really a, f- a fan of not just what she's done, but kind of her, her thinking around this. Um, so sh- uh, I did write about this in the Daily Lab this week. I usually um, it was very good yeah. as so always free content for people. Sorry. Sorry, members. Um, but basically the, 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 the issue is she wrote a piece in the wall street journal over the summer, um, you know, which people kind of mocked cause she's like, or basically her take was that music is valuable because I spent a lot of time on it. Um, and everyone's was like, well, supply and demand it's digital. You know, that's what determines the price. Tough luck. And I think, I think that was unfair. And I think uh, some of her comments this week about why she pulled the music get at why that was an unfair criticism. And what's unfair is when she said it was valuable, she didn't say it was worth, it was, she wasn't, there's different definitions of value. Right. There's the actual money. And yes, because it's a digital good, the marginal cost is zero. Right. Mm -hmm. But that for for the people like I mean I, from what I know of Taylor Swift she started out as a country artist um, she writes very kind of like deeply felt so I think she writes most of her own stuff it's like usually very deeply felt and like oh you know it's very hard my whatever and I think people I, I, again I'm I'm obviously I'm enjoying why don't you keep describing her music Ben because I'm quite enjoying I don't know much about it this. although my my, my <laughs> wife has recently um, kind of got into it so I've heard more of it than I have than I have before. Um, but, um, uh, but I think, I think it's something that people do form a very deep emotional connection with, right? It like you, you can totally picture a, she's what, 20, 27 years old, 24 years old. She started when she was a teenager. You can totally picture another teenager, like listening to her music, identifying deeply with it. I mean, we all have those songs. We all have those. I, I still have, I still have this one album that whenever I'm feeling very melancholy, like that, I, I go to it, right? It, 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 mm, right. And yes, the marginal cost of that CD might be zero, but its value to me is nearly priceless. And, and this is, and this is what I think that she was getting at in her, in her op-ed. And I think that's why she dislikes Spotify. The problem with Spotify, if you want to have a relationship, you want to have a relationship with your fans. If you want to have a relationship with the people that buy your music, there is no decent relationship that is completely one-sided. It's not all about if you, if you are in a, with your partner and you're just, you're the one who's always giving, 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 and then they're not doing anything. That's not a healthy relationship. That's it's, it's messed up. And the problem with Spotify and is, is there's no means at least when you're, it's a small thing, but when you buy an album, when you go and you download it from iTunes or you heaven forbid, drive to a store and get a shiny plastic disc, like there's a reciprocal act there where you're actually, you're giving away something that's important to you in this case, money to get something that is very valuable. And I I think that act of, even though it's not that much money, that act of reciprocity of giving something for something that's valuable to me, I think yeah. it's very valuable. I think it deepens the bond. And I think it 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 increases the value of Swift's music, not by the $12.99 that it costs, but by the act of actually buying it. And yeah, the commitment. Yeah, and yeah. Spotify poops that all away, right? You like it's it's worthless. Me listening to someone on Spotify is effectively worthless. 
Like that, that's yeah. the, that's the, people sell that as the allure. Oh, you go on Spotify, you can listen to when you want, but I'm not, I'm not committing to anyone. I'm not. And music has that, that value of it, it reaches people deeply and services like Spotify take away that, that, that reciprocal nature. And that's fine for the, that's perfect for the artist of the week. Who's going to have one hit song. I've never listened to again. Like, I don't want to commit to them either. Right. But for, for, for those two or three artists that are really meaningful to me, Spotify denies that connection. And I think any artist who is in that position like Swift should think very seriously about doing exactly what she did. Make, make, make it worth something, make it, make it harder to connect with me because once you do, it'll be worth that much more. You're, I think you're picking up on something that, uh, that the tech community, when it approaches topics like this, um, all too often can overlook and that there's an emotional side to it. There's a, we're like complicated creatures that have evolved from a very different past. And this notion of something being difficult and doing it anyway, I'm sure that's wired into some reptilian part of our brains and it makes us feel something different. But it's, it's just the way I think that fundamentally you pay $9.99 a month and you get access to as much as you want. It's it's all it on some level it commoditizes everything. It's like walking into a nine ninety nine all you can eat buffet, right? It's it's it, it, it even if there is one and one amazing dish there or a few, it's the fact that it's surrounded by all these other things that aren't so great. I, I, the, the analogy isn't perfect, but there's I think there's something here versus the notion of going like. Um, swift in what she did and pulling her music out of that environment and saying this is different this is that there I rec- if you want to listen to this it requires a deeper level of engagement you have to you have to make a reservation you have to come to the fancy restaurant and it's going to be more expensive like it there's something different around that versus leaving it all in Spotify at that 999 or ad supported free model I I think you're right I think you're on to something. well I think this is this is a fundamental issue that I think most of tech, I think you're exactly right. This is an attitudinal problem in tech and, and it, it, it cuts across all kinds of problems. It, it's like any startup, anything about this, about so much in Silicon Valley is all about scale. It's like, how do you scale something? And and even you see this Twitter, right? And you see this with, 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 with Facebook, like it's how the great value and you see this with Uber, the valuable companies are the companies that can, that can create massive markets. Uh, it's, ba- it's basically all stuff we talked about. It's people who can reap internet economics. Internet economics are zero mm. marginal costs. Like, you know, right. I, I talk, you know, you can, you set it up once and every extra person is, is incremental income it, without, in, because you're not paying for them. Right. You, you've, you've done all the fixed costs up yeah. front and that's, that's exactly what Spotify is. Like you, you, all the music is effectively the same. It, 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 there's no, there's no way. Yes, I mean, from a technical perspective, if I listen to Taylor Swift more on Spotify, she will get more of my ten dollars a month. You know, in some complicated, you know, yes, but it, yeah. it's it, 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 <laughs> that's a technical truth. It's not a emotional truth, and and you see this like there is val this there's an aversion too to like making people pay for something. Right. Like mm. I, it's out, one of the things with, with, with Apple is you pay a lot of money for it. And yes, some people say, oh, you just defend Apple products because you paid, you know, $600 for $1,000. So what? 
Like that's that's part, part of, of the magic. That's of doing, part of being I was a exactly, I was exactly going to go here, right? Like it's reminding me of the the ten percent versus ninety percent people who want that more extreme, more emotional experience versus people who don't. I mean, I remember. I remember going into an Apple store and buying an iPhone and I've only set one up in the Apple store once. And I remember them specifically opening the iPhone, like they'd open the box for me, but before they did anything technical for me, they they handed me the iPhone and it's like, here's your iPhone, do you want to hold it? Like, and then, and then like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool and you play with it. And it was such a subtle thing. And I probably wouldn't have even noticed it, but for the fact that I I read a training manual afterwards online somewhere where it said this was specifically part of the script. This is this wasn't some guy being all nice about something. This was this was an example of a company that gets that there's more than just selling the device. There's an experience surrounding it, and part of that was like you open the box and there's an unboxing experience. And and just because you're doing that in the store, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be the first one to be touching it or whatever. And there's, there is, I mean, I feel like uh, I'm sure if I picked up the Kahneman Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow book, he'd talk about one of these things, which, which the way tech approaches the world, traditional tech anyway, seems completely irrational. But it, it, maybe it is completely irrational. It's still a real thing. People still feel like this. And to ignore it is to be extremely foolish. Yeah. I mean, it just... It, to be clear, like the scale approach isn't a bad thing. I know, I've, especially no, the past no, few no, weeks, no. it feels like I've been bagging on Google. Like I, I, I can't say this enough. I admire Google, and they are approaching problems the way that only they can. And I think they're 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 a great company. The problem is that doesn't mean the scale approach and the algorithmic approach is is superior for everything, and. And I, I don't know. I mean, like the, I think that some people are getting a, a little smarter about this, um, but it gets back to like the, the design thing, right? Oh, design isn't just about making a great making user it, or making even a great UI or making it look, look pretty. It's, pretty, it's thinking right. about the emotional state of the user as they encounter your product and go through your product. Like there are really crappily designed products that inspire great delight in their user because they're carefully tuned to the pain point and the problem that they have. And there are other products that are beautiful and have a great UI that leave people totally with no feeling because it's like, oh, that's, that's interesting. But it, it like to resonate with someone to, to build that sort of bond that where people like, I mean, Taylor Swift fans spend way more than money on CDs. They go to concerts, they buy all this stuff. Like, and and to to get that is is you you got to ask something you got to you got you got to ask something of your customer and you need to deliver something that can't be bought with money i'm with you entirely like giving something up there's some notion about sacrificing something and in the process of sacrifice you'd think that in sacrificing something for someone or something you you dislike it more, but there's some funny thing inside our head where you look at the people that have made sacrifices, whether it's parents for children or uh, people in the military for their country, like the 
the notion of making a sacrifice for something makes doesn't make them attached to it less. It makes them attached to it more. And I, I think Swift is touching on this. And yeah, like it's it's very easy to criticize her. It's like she's she's you know like trying to wind back the clock. Like this is the future, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I I think you're right. I think she's onto something. I mean, I, maybe it, it gets back to you know the jungle and the trees stuff, or like I mean, because people will say, oh, oh, that's fine for Taylor Swift, right? Or um, I think by the time we we announce or this podcast comes out, I'll have announced that I've past a thousand a thousand members actually oh yeah, congratulations I, probably close to 1100 actually and like so i have a you know I'm, I'm by no means getting rich but i have a sustainable business here right and i'm and oh that's fine for that's fine for that's fine for ben um but i i think i i feel like this misses this misses the point and and the point that's missed is I don't know. Yeah, do you know what's interesting? It's it's even difficult for us to talk about it, right? And we're both we're both deep in tech, and we both know something's here. But it's even it's this this stuff is the touchy feely stuff that makes the difference between it's the difference between something that that's the the, the scale versus this deep emotional commitment. And I I. Yeah, like it's difficult to talk about. It's difficult to put your finger on, but to to ignore it just because it's difficult, to ignore it just because it's not rational, I think is a mistake, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess it's it's a shame that mostly in tech, when it comes to the and the tech is very forward thinking in in how the internet can change business and can change business models. But I feel we've only really explored how we can leverage the cost side. Like how can we keep our costs super low and reach a ton of people? But the cost the cost uh. issue cuts both ways. It could also be that we spend a lot we spend just as much as an analog business did, but we can deliver a vastly superior experience. Right? You could either you could yeah. deliver the same the internet lets you deliver the same experience much more cheaply, or it lets you deliver a superior experience for 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 a similar cost. And I and I, I feel there's so much green space in that second area. Like wh- what what are the businesses of the future that are not just about like delivering the lowest common denominator at scale, but, but delivering Uber customized Uber emotional and connective sort of experiences that are exceptionally meaningful to people and doing it at a small scale, but, but doing it because you still have those economic, the internet economics working in your favor. That's a really cool idea. I, I, I hadn't thought about it like that. That's, do you think there are any businesses that are doing that right now? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you could you could argue that uh, Uber, especially when they were the black car business, was was along these lines, right? Like you were paying more than a taxi, but there are still people who who a lot of people who did it because it it one you had all the advantage of Uber that still exists the easy ease of payment. The using a smartphone, you know, 
all that sort of stuff. But also, it was riding in an Uber black car is pretty awesome, right? I mean, flying an SFO and you you dial it up and it pulls up and it's a big car and you throw out your bags and the comfortable seat and you know the guy's super professional and and that's 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 an example where you're at, you're delivering something exceptional um, at a way lower price than than that exceptional experience would be otherwise, but I, but it's still more expensive than kind of the commodity version. Um, and right. because Uber is an internet business, VC funded, like they, they need their long term is Uber X, like the scale play. Um, but I think there was, there was something it, there. Yeah, no, I agree. It's interesting. There's another one out here. Uh, what, what Tesla fascinates me because my, my natural way of viewing the world for a lot of these businesses is through the lens of disruption and Tesla's come at the market from absolutely the opposite uh, approach, which is to start right up the top and to try and figure out how to go down market as it becomes more successful. And it is possible. I mean, there are companies that have managed to do this. Dyson is another one that really seems to, to like bend the laws of gravity. They managed to get people to pay more for a vacuum cleaner that worked better. Again, rather than starting at the bottom and um, working their way up, they started at the top and working their way down. So yeah, you're right. I think there are examples of companies that have managed to do this successfully, but I don't know. It's, It's the big VC model requires mass adoption and it's, I mean, maybe it's a, it's a two tier thing. Maybe, maybe that's the way it, Maybe that's the way it works. And this goes back to the thing about Twitter where we started. Maybe uh-oh, I'm about to say the words full circle. Like it's it's segmenting out and recognizing that there are different different user experiences for different people, that different people are looking for different things. And, you know, like it doesn't all need to be down the bottom. I do think this goes back to our discussion last week in that, that you know, the missing kind of, that there being a third area, this, this experience yeah. area. And there's no, like, just to reiterate, like the theory of disruption is incredible and it very much underlies a ton of the thinking in the Valley, right? Like Andreessen Horowitz, for example, has been super clear. Like basically their investment principle is, is the theory of disruption. Like, and that's the the thing is though, I think because there's, there's this, it doesn't address this issue like it ends up, you only think about the low end. You only think about how do you come in from the bottom? Whereas what you see with these other services is they're coming in at the top, but they're coming in at the top by focusing on the experience and making it worth paying for. And I, I again, I think that's a, a, a big area that's unexplored. And, you know, I've, I very much hope the future is not this sort of free dystopian. I, I don't think it needs to, it's not always the race to the bottom, right? Oh, it, it is an observation that you make simpler and cheaper and more accessible things. That doesn't mean that the experience is inherently uh, inherently less good. In fact, the experience can actually be better. And the example I would point to is like, I use my phone now a lot more than I ever did. And it means I use my computer less. And for a whole bunch of things, the experience of using my phone right now is amazing compared to what it used to be. It, it's it's there are, there are things where it frustrates me. There are certain things where I, I still find I need to go back to a computer. But the 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 nature of the disruption that's happened there 
like it lets me load up Twitter and gain access to it when I'm standing in line waiting to get a coffee or about to jump on the train or riding the train home, whereas that would never have happened if if we were still using computers. So just because things are being disrupted, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that the experience has to suffer. No, totally. I, I completely agree. And it, it is good of you to clarify that. And that's why, again, I'm saying that's why I'm saying I, I don't I embrace the theory. I think it makes a ton of sense. I just think there are some areas where it's not as explanatory as as it could be. And so in the, in your totally. example, it's exactly right. I do think there are other as yet undiscovered examples and um and yeah, and Taylor Swift will lead the way. <laughs> We've got to finish there. Taylor Swift will lead the way. I, I worry that could even be a, a, a title for the podcast. <laughs> well, and we spent a lot of time on Twitter, so we'll have to see. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, uh, I, we will we, we've, we'll talk some more, I'm sure, about many of these topics. That sounds good. It was good to hear the Garbage Truck song again. It's been a while since that's yeah, happened. Yeah, so we'll see if it gets edited out. I, I, I mean, people will probably still hear my heavy breathing after chasing it down. Oh no, I could I could actually still hear it while you were talking. So we're gonna get to hear the garbage truck song. Don't yeah, worry. Speaking of taking things full circle. <laughs> I'll talk to you next week. Right, ben. Later. See ya. I need to take the garbage out. I'll be right back. I get to do a monologue. Ben's gone. We can start talking about all these funny things about Ben. The problem is I'm not exactly sure what I would say. Though this is reminding me of the earlier episode called The Garbage Truck Song because I actually heard the music this time. Ben's going to hear this. I have no idea whether he's going to cut it out or leave it in. It fascinates me that the Taiwanese garbage trucks have like ice cream truck music though. I don't know. It's. I wonder if you get a Pavlov's dog reaction to that. You you hear the song and you start to smell the smell of garbage. I wonder if it works like that over in Taiwan, like ringing the bell and the dog starts salivating, hearing the music, and you can't help but smell garbage. He did say he wanted to take the garbage out in a rather stern tone of voice. Maybe he was reacting to the thought of the smell. I feel compelled to keep saying things, but I'm starting to run out of stuff to say. Hurry up, Ben. Come back. Take out the garbage. (laughs) That music is hilarious. Hello? There's a little bit of monologuing there in your absence. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 oh, I told you I was going. I don't know if you heard me. <laughs> no, I heard you were going. I monologued anyway. Oh.